Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church fam. How are we doing today? Fantastic. How many of us got to go to the 4-H park yesterday? Awesome. I love eating over at the 4-H park. I love being there, seeing a bunch of people. It's always a great time. So uh, I'm really excited to be uh, jumping up here this week for this series uh, on spiritual warfare. Um, The Bible has a lot to say about spiritual warfare. And I believe, honestly, nothing that happens in this world, everything that happens in this world, I believe it starts in the supernatural. I believe everything that happens comes uh, from something that that started supernaturally. And uh, I believe that the Bible is very serious about this topic, that when Jesus talks about it, uh, when we see instances of spiritual warfare. It's something very serious that if we're not prepared for, if we, if our hearts aren't guarded, we're not set to be in the right place, then, then, then it's not going to bode well for us. Uh, because the enemy is very smart. He's very tactful. Uh, and if we're not prepared for his, for his schemes, we're not setting ourselves up for success. Um, if you brought your brick and mortar Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter four. And that's where we'll be. That's where we'll be camping out. Um, so where we're, where we're coming into is, um, Jesus is getting ready to be tempted by Satan. He was baptized prior to this, and then he got to, he's spent 40 days in isolation, um, and just fasting and and just spending time with the Lord. And now Satan is going to be coming and and tempting him. And, and I believe Satan again is so wise, uh, when it comes to when he attacks and how he attacks and who he attacks, Uh, but specifically when it comes to when he attacks, He's attacking Jesus. He's, he's coming to, uh, to try and tempt Jesus again after a very, very rough patch of his life, after 40 days of not eating food. And he's going to come and offer him food. Like if, if that was me, I would have fallen immediately. Uh, but we're going to see that, that Jesus does not fall to that temptation. And we're going to kind of look and see how does Jesus avoid that and what are some, um, some pitfalls we can avoid uh, into, into staying in a right relationship with the Lord. Um, but real quick, uh, uh, a verse in the book of First Peter, uh, it says this. It says, be alert and be of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's always looking for that opportunity to where he, he, can, he can strike at just the right moment. He's always ready to strike. And I believe that, if, again, if we're not on guard, we're, we're not re- we're we're setting ourselves up for failure. Um, like I said, Jesus, he, he's, it's, been a, it's been a long 40 days for him. And I believe a lot of times when the devil attacks us, it's in the midst of, of really rough moments. Uh, we've, we've really been, st- our, our marriage has been struggling. Uh, our financial situation has been struggling for a long time. Or whatever that, whatever that, that addiction we just can't break, we just, it, it just, nothing seems to be improving. And, and a lot of times, uh, Satan's goal is to just keep coming at you and coming at you and coming at you and trying to get you to give up. And that's the exact opposite of, of, of what God wants us to do. Uh, the book of, of John, chapter 10, verse 10, it tells us that the enemy's goal is to steal from you, to kill you, and destroy you, and to rob you of your joy. And the Lord's goal, Jesus, is, Jesus came to give us a full life, an abundant life. And that's, that's talking about heaven, but it's also talking about now, that even in the midst of those moments, we can still experience, experience the presence of, of the Lord, experience God like we never have before. 
Uh, so I like to compare, I told this, shared this with the students a couple weeks ago. I always compare this to um, an eagle versus a, a human. And what I mean by that is, is when an eagle lays an egg uh, and it sits on that egg, that egg, it takes 35 days for it to hatch. But in the midst of that 35-day period, the egg will never grow in size. It will never receive like a, a kick or any, any sign that, uh, that there's life in this egg. And so for 35 days, I, I don't know if, if the mother eagle wonders if, there's, if, if her baby is going to be born or if somehow there's an instinct that it just knows. But, but for 35 days, there's no indication that anything's going to change. See, at least for humans, we'll, we'll see morning sickness and, and random food cravings, and the baby will kick, and there's always signs that something is coming, that there's a reason to be hopeful. But sometimes, if we're really honest in our personal life, if, when the enemy attacks, it, really feels like a, it can really feel like a hopeless situation. And the only thing we can choose to do is to hold on, to hold on to faith, because on that 35th day, God's going to bring something in your life. And honestly, God does so many amazing things behind the scenes. That's when he's setting up new relationships for you. That's when he's setting up that next break for you. That's when God is, is moving, because God can't always do everything in person. It's sometimes it has to be behind the scenes. There's a passage in the Old Testament uh, where this group of people called the Israelites, that's kind of the main focus of the Old Testament, is this, this tribe of people named the Israelites. They were slaves in Egypt for a very long time, and then this guy named Moses comes and he sets them free. So they, they're, they're, uh, they're freed slaves, and God tells these people, um, I've got a destination set for you. There's, there's a place I've prepared for you called the Promised Land. And so I'm going to take you on a journey to get to the Promised Land. And so they're on, their, they're on their way, and they get to this town called Jericho, which is one town away from the promised land. They've been, they've been uh, in the wilderness for tens and tens of years, and they're one town away from the promise of God. But the problem is, is they can't just walk through this town because they'll be destroyed. Uh, and there's also this huge wall that surrounds the city. So there's no way to get through it except for one by one, just waiting for your death. And it seems like a hopeless situation. But they turn to God, and God says, don't worry about the battle. I'll take care of the battle. You just be faithful in this moment. And what he tells them to do is he says, I want you for seven days, seven times a day, I want you to just walk, or walk from one side all the way around the wall. You're just going to walk around the wall, and you're just going to pray, and you're going to praise me. You're not going to fight. You're not going to do anything. You're just going to walk around the wall. And it seems like it doesn't seem like that makes any logical sense to do. But because they were faithful, day one comes and they start walking around this wall seven times. And again, we would hope at the end of the day one that there would at least be a crack in the foundation. But there's nothing. There's no change whatsoever. Day two comes and they walk around the wall. And nothing. There's no earthquake. There's no nothing. There's, no, there's nothing that changes. Their situation is the exact same as it was two days prior. Day seven comes, and they walk around the wall, and nothing changes. And then out of nowhere, God moves, and the walls just fall down. And they're free. They're free to just enter the promised land. I, I promise you that it's, it's so hard. It can, in the moment of 
of, of cra- crazy situation in the moment of struggle in the moment where the enemy is attacking you, it feels like an impossible situation, but your 35th day is coming. That wall is going to fall down. And if you're faithful in the midst of it, God is going to be faithful as well. That's a promise he has. He says, if you remain faithful, I will remain faithful. So Satan knows when the best time is to attack. He attacked Jesus after the 40-day fast. He also knows how to attack us. He's very good at, at knowing the right moments to attack us. In, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, um, he's going to tempt Jesus with food, which is obviously the most logical thing to attack Jesus with after not eating for 40 days. It says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. This is a really interesting, that's a really powerful verse because what really Satan is, is asking Jesus to do is saying, Look, you have this destiny that you're set for. You are supposed to die for the sins of the world, but I'm asking you to give that up for this moment. You are starving. You need some food right now. And God, what, what we're going to see Jesus do in a little bit is Jesus is going to show us that the right, the right mindset is to have an eternal perspective and not just an in-the-moment perspective. That's what Satan wants is us to, to think about in the moment. Oh my gosh, this was such a long day. I am not going to be I'm not going to be a spouse today. I am just going to go watch TV tonight. I'll let my wife do the dishes. I'll do I'll, she'll she'll take care of all that. Oh my goodness, this was this is a crazy week. I'm I deserve to let loose one night. I'm going to go to this party this weekend. I'm going to get away. That's what the enemy wants us to do is to to, to look at the moment and to take our eyes off of the eternity. Had Jesus chosen to do this, all of us would be accountable to pay for our sins, and we would have no hope of entering heaven. Jesus had to look at the eternal perspective. He had to ask himself, salvation or bread? Salvation or bread? And that's the same question we have to ask ourselves. That drink or Christ? My relationship with my heavenly father or that website? Am I going to worry about my finances today, or am I going to trust that God's going to provide today? That's the same question that we have to ask ourselves, because the enemy is attacking us in the exact same way. He knows when to attack, and he knows how to attack, and he's very good at it. Like I said in that that verse, John 10.10, it says that Jesus actually has amazing things in store for us in eternity and in this life if we're focused on our relationship with him. Right. Sometimes we look at our circumstance and we think that we are, we are a lost cause. We're broken. We have nothing to offer. But Jesus says that is not true. If you have me, you have all that you need. There's another story in the Old Testament where this woman, uh, her, her husband had passed away and he was the breadwinner for the house. And so, um, eventually she runs out of funds and all these debt collectors start coming to her house and saying, look, we need some sort of collateral. We have to take something from you. So the only thing you really have to offer us is your children. And so they were getting ready to take her children and, and she was able to buy a little bit more time and, and the Lord shows up and, and provides a way, uh, a way for her. And so the only remaining, uh, currency she had was this little jar of oil. And God basically tells her, hey, you're going to go to this place. I've got some jars set aside from you. I want you to grab many jars, and I want you to bring them back, and I want you to fill up that first jar. 
And it's not going to look like you have enough, but actually that jar is going to fill up. And then I want you to fill up the second jar and just keep filling them up until you've filled up all your jars. And so she goes and she grabs 12 jars uh, to fill up with oil. And she, with the little oil she has, she's able to fill up all 12 of these jars and sell those off and pay off her debts. I believe that God is, like I said, it may look like our circumstance is broken or hopeless, but God is able to multiply and do so much more than we could possibly imagine. He's able to do so much more. And I believe had that woman grabbed 24 jars, that he would have filled those up. And so if you're expecting God to do something big, he's going to. I believe that if we have a little bit of faith, if we have that mustard seed of faith, that God is going to move in a way that he never has before. But we really we do a good job of limiting what God can do in our life. We say, God, if if you can, God, just uh, just uh, help this healing process go well. Let's start praying big prayers and say, God, I'm asking you to heal me right now. God, I'm asking you to touch this area of my life right now. God, I'm asking you to uh, to move in my 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 kids' life right now. They're in a really rough spot, and I need you right now to move. Sometimes we limit ourselves. We put a cap on on what we're going to allow God to do in our life because we pray these small prayers, or or we have just a li- this little bit of faith that that God's that God might do it. But we we need to start having some big faith because God says that He is going to fulfill His promise. He 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 can't. He can't lie. He, he makes promises and he keeps promises. He's so good to us. But the enemy, he's so good at knowing when to attack us, how to attack us. He studies us. He studies our habits. He studies our tendencies. He knows what we struggle with. He knows the, thing, the areas where he wants to keep us from. He knows, uh, he knows that uh, if, you're, if you're having a, lo- a, wrong, a rough day at work, that you're, you're not going to want to hang out with your kids and you're going to be a little more irritable when you get home. He knows that if he can get you alone, this is going to happen. He knows exactly what situations and what strings he needs to pull. And he pulls that string with Jesus to say, why don't you turn these rocks into bread? You're pretty hungry. And Jesus responds with this in, in verse 4. It says, Jesus answered, it is written that man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what Jesus did here was he just quoted an Old Testament verse back to Satan. Because what Satan is really good at doing is twisting Scripture. He knows Scripture real well. He'll twist it just a little bit to make it sound like it's still, still legitimate. But Jesus knew Scripture better. And I think that one of, the, one of the only things we can do to defend against the enemies is understand what the Word of God says. That is, that is our only way to defeat the enemy, is to know Scripture. And that's what Jesus does. But I want to take a look at this moment and actually even a little previous uh, moments to see how did Jesus get to this point and how was he able in the roughest possible physical circumstance to refuse to eat after not eating for 40 days? How was he able to resist temptation in some of the most roughest circumstances? And so prior to this moment, let's look and see what Jesus did. The first thing Jesus did was he got disconnected from the world, right? He got baptized and he did all these things. And the first thing he chooses to do is get away from the world. This isn't me saying we all need to go join a commune or something like that. But I believe that if we don't have intentional time once a week or monthly where we're getting away and taking a Sabbath and saying, you know what? The world is going to move on without me today. I need to recover. I need to take care of myself. 
then we are not, if we're not doing that, then we are not setting ourselves up for success. There's a, uh, there's a passage, another passage in the Old Testament. This king named King Nebuchadnezzar, he wasn't necessarily the best guy in the world. He didn't really honor God. He didn't, he didn't uh, see God as, as super valuable. And he, uh, what he did was he really valued his own efforts. He, uh, he had, he'd brought in these slaves who were really good at working. He, uh, he, was a, he was a really smart king. I mean, he was able to do a lot of, a lot of things. And he really hung his hat on his achievements, on, on his endeavors, on, on the things he was able to accomplish, rather than giving the honor to, to God where it, it should have been given. And so... Um, he just he just says basically his motto is if we keep working and we keep working hard and we keep going at it and we keep doing it day in and day out we keep grinding then we're going to be successful it's going to be a successful kingdom and one day they're uh, these guys they're at this feast and they go to to grab these really valuable wine glasses and they open this box and out of this box this magical hand comes out of the box. And it starts writing these words on the wall next to them. And so as any of us would be, they get really confused because it's not in their language. They don't really even know what it says. And they're able to get a translator to come and, and figure out what the writing on the wall is. And so uh, there's three words, three different words that are written on this wall. The first word is the word many, M-E-N-E. The second word is the word tikal. And the third word is the word parsons. And they get somebody who's able to translate it. And that first word, the word many, means God has numbered the days of your reign and is bringing it to an end. I believe that we need to remember that we have a very limited amount of time. The Bible describes our life as a vapor. We only have a, a very small amount of time. And if we're, all we're doing is focus on work, 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 get this, get that, get this accomplished, and we're not taking time for ourselves to, to recover to honor our family, uh, to, to, to do what matters most. If we're not doing those things, then our days are going to come to an end. And it might not look like death, but it might look like, you know what? God's going to give you a sickness because you need to slow down today. You need, you need to take a break. God's going to give us a lot of warning signs. But a lot of the times we don't recognize those warning signs if we're, if we're not focused on God's word and understanding what rest does for us. It's honestly a, a good way to describe it is is similar to like a cancer. It's if if we're not resting, if we're not ch- stage one cancer is pretty rare to fi- to di- to diagnose because you don't really know it's there. You don't really know that the problems are there, but it's really treatable. And so if if we're if we're checking on ourselves every day and saying, am I, "How am I doing resting?" That's like treating stage one cancer. But if we're never focused on resting then it's going to get to stage four before we recognize anything's wrong. And then it's really hard to fix, and it comes with a lot of complications. And so I, I think one warning that we need to know is that we need to be resting on a regular basis from work, from, from our regular duties. And that doesn't just look like, I'm not saying we need to just sit in a chair and read our Bible the entire day. You know, I always I always say it this way: If you work with your body, if you work a physical labor job, rest with your mind. Do something that that engages your mind. And if you work at a desk job or you work with your mind, go do something like kayak or something that's going to give you joy and and uh, give you peace and and re- and restore. Let you let you focus on a different area of your body. How are you resting? Are you resting well? And are you resting regularly? 
the second word is the word tikkul that was written on the wall. And it says that what it means is you have been weighed on the scales and been found wanting. And so basically what it's saying is it's like that, that scale where it's one side weighs more than the other and it's not really balanced. And it's like, is your life balanced? And so I would ask you, when you're spending your time in one direction or the other, are, those the, are you spending your time doing the things that are meaningful? Are you spending your time doing things that really don't amount to much? I've done, I did a little bit of research. I think this will be humorous and, and fun. Um, Americans in their lives are very out of balance. This is the average American. The average American in their lifetime, we will eat out 20,436 times. Out of those 20,436, over 3,700 of them will be trips to McDonald's. We will spend 10 years of our lives watching television. We will spend nine and a half years on our phone. And that's probably more for the younger generation. We will spend five years waiting in lines. And we will spend one year of our life looking for misplaced items. That's probably three years for me. None of those things are things that we would say that we live for. But those are things that we do. And so I would challenge you to just assess even just a week and say, are the things I'm doing this week, are these the things I want to be giving my time to? Are these the things that are meaningful? Or is it the other way around? Do I have a balanced life? Or are the things I'm doing not really the meaningful things? And then the third word, the word Parsons, it basically what it means is your kingdom is divided and given to the Midians and the Persians. And basically what Daniel is saying here is if you don't get those first two things right, your life is going to be divided and given over to someone else. If we don't have a good balance of our time and if we're not taking care of ourselves by resting, if we're not, if we're not worried about our time, someone else will value our time. Right? If you don't value your time, your, your, high, your local school will get you engaged in 50 different things. Your church will get you invested in 50 different things. If you don't value your time, anyone else will. And so knowing where you're spending your time is so important because everybody is trying to pull you in a different direction. And so we need to, we need to, the first thing we can do and the first thing Jesus did after getting baptized was rest and get away and spend time with the Lord. The second, the second thing Jesus did, and actually this was prior to resting, the first thing Jesus did to begin his ministry, when Jesus officially began his ministry, the first thing he did was he got connected with people. He chose the 12 disciples, and he met up with John, and he got baptized. And so that would be the next thing I would challenge you guys to do is, is do you have people in your life who have unfiltered access to your life? The people in your life who... Who, who you can talk to about anything. And I'm not talking about a spouse or, or anything like that. I'm talking about people who don't necessarily even have anything to gain from you by, by telling you the truth. They probably have a lot more to lose. Like I have a couple best friends of mine who I talk to on a daily basis. Every day I call them, unless they're hiking or somewhere where we can't talk. But every day on, on a daily basis, I talk to three different people. And we just, sometimes we'll talk about, hey, man, I'm really struggling with this today. Some days it's just, hey, 
I don't have anything new going on, but this is what I did yesterday. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I really would challenge you guys, find people in your life you can get connected with. But also, even within the church, I would challenge you guys to get plugged into a community group. Because that is so valuable. It's so valuable to get plugged in with other like-minded believers who are, who, are, who are chasing the same thing as you. Just a couple days ago, I actually didn't even have this plan. One of, one of my uh, community group members, Eric Craighead, I'm not going to read much of the message, but I'll read a little bit of it, sent uh, the guys in our community group this message. He, and I won't say the, anything too in detail, but it says, I'm, there's power in Jesus' name, and I am speaking the name of Jesus over you, Doug, you, Joe, you, Taylor, and you, Andy, over your eyes, over your ears, over your mouth, over your hands, over your feet. It's so important to have people in your corner who are praying for you, who are worried about you, who, who, are, who, who are vested in your life. Because if you don't have that, then it's, it's so easy to fall down, and it's not really easy to get back up. A couple quotes from people in the world that, that have talked about the importance of, of connection. Mother Teresa said this. She said, you can do what I cannot do. I can do what you cannot do. But together, we can do things that neither of us could do. Together, we can do great things. Helen Keller said, alone, we can only do a little. But together, we can do so much. And lastly is Phil Jackson. He's one of the most winningest NBA coaches of all time. He said, as it relates to a team, he said, the strength of a team is each individual member. And we've heard that said before, like you're only a, your team is only as strong as your weakest player. But he said, I'll, I'll also say this. The strength of each individual member is the team. And so what he's saying is, if you only have one guy who's trying to do it all by themselves and they fall, they're screwed. There's no hope. But if you have a team of people around you, like I do with my community group, and I fall, they, I have people who can pick me up. I have people who are, surrounded, who are surrounding me who are there for me. A few months ago, I was having a lot of trouble with, with headaches, and I just could not figure out what, what it was. I always had a low-grade low headache, migraine. And for weeks, they were praying for me. My community group was. I didn't really ever tell anybody else. They were the only people I told. And one day, I called them and said, hey, it's really bad today. And they prayed. And that day was the last day I ever had a headache. I haven't had, I haven't had one since. I believe that the, the prayers of my community group members changed everything. You guys, I think it's so important that we're surrounding ourselves with people who aren't perfect, who are going to struggle themselves, but people who are going to work together to grow in our relationship with God. The very first thing Jesus did when he started his ministry was he chose 12 disciples and he got baptized by somebody. And I would encourage you guys to think about doing the same. So Jesus got connected with people. He got separate, separated from the world. And then the third thing he did was he was connected with God. There, during that 40-day period, he didn't just sit and sing Kumbaya, right? He, he was spending 40 days intentionally with God. And if you ask me how Jesus was able to resist food after 40 days, it can only be because of those 40 days. Because he was spending intentional time with the Lord. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus is saying this. This is Jesus' words. 
He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I will remain in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. The only way Jesus could have resisted a temptation, the only way we can fight the enemy is to be connected with God. I'm a big fan of the New England Patriots. And that's a good, good phrase to say right after talking about being connected with God, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, um, they only have one sign in their headquarters. It's a, it's a quote from a, one of the greatest war leaders of all time, war generals of all time. Uh, he was before Jesus' time. He wrote the book on war. He wrote a book called The Art of War. His name is Sun Tzu. And this is the quote that hangs in the Patriots locker room. The battle is won before it's fought. If you want to know if you're going to be able to resist temptation this week, how's your relationship with God today? How's your relationship with God been? If you want to know if you're going to be able to handle another fight with your spouse, are you guys praying together? Are you guys connected with God? Because that's the only way you're going to be able to fight the enemy. Are we connected with God? Because if we're not, we have no chance. If we're not, we have no chance. The only way we can, we can fight the enemy is to be connected with God. And I think there's a few ways we can do that. The first way is by prayer. Spending time intentionally having conversation with God every day. And it shouldn't just be a, a one-way conversation. It should be a two-way conversation. I always tell the students, we, God does not have a speaking problem. We have a hearing problem sometimes. Sometimes all we're doing is, is telling God what's going on, which is a great thing to do. Please always tell God what's going on. In fact, the verse, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, pray continually. It says, always talk to God, but also be listening because God's got something to say to you too that's probably really valuable. Also, I, th- I think another, another thing I always tell the students is, is we need to be praying first. Pray in advance. We, we, we should have prayer as a first response, not as our last resort. You know, sometimes we wait until the financial collapse happens to start praying or until the person's in the hospital, and then we start praying. We should be praying as a first response, not as a last resort. It should always be the first thing we do. And it should be regularly. It should be something we're doing on a regular basis. Pray continually. I know for me, these last couple months, my prayer life has taken off because I'll, I'll go to a meeting or I'll go hang out with a friend, and on the way to that, I'll just real quickly just say out loud, not just in my head, I'll out loud in my car, I'll just say, God, I just, I just pray for this moment with my friend Jay. God, I know he's struggling with this, and God, I just pray that we can have a, a, a fruitful conversation about this topic. God, I just pray for this time. And that's, that's all I do, and I believe that God has done so much just from those little moments of prayer that I've gotten to have with him. The second, the second way we can connect with God is through his word. Right? I always say if, if, uh, if you're not hearing from God and you're not reading from his word, that's why. That's why, because so often God speaks to us through his words, through the Bible. The, uh, the book of Psalm 40, Psalm chapter 40, verse 8, it says, I delight to do your will, Lord. Your word is within my heart. I think that was very important for Jesus that he had his, he had the word of God in his heart because had he not been able to quote that scripture, who knows what would have been, it would have happened against Satan. If, 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 if Jesus wasn't able to fight Satan using scripture, it might not have went the same way. 
And I think the same thing is true for us, that there are so many amazing promises that God has made in the Bible that are true for you and for me. And we just read that one in John 15, that if you remain in him, he'll be faithful. John chapter 10, verse 10, that he's got good things in store for you. There's so many promises in the Bible that God has made for you. And I just, I want to challenge you guys this week. Just look up one, just look up the promises of God. If you go to a Google search, type in the promises of God. And I believe that you'll be blessed. Just find one that really sticks out to you and cling to that this week. When, when times are tough, say, God, I know times are tough, but, but God, you said this in your word and I'm, I'm, I'm going to believe it. My thir- my, I'm on day 32 right now of, of, of sitting on this egg, but I know my 35th day is coming. I know it's on the way, and I know you're going to do something amazing this week. The third thing we can do is worship. You know, we can spend time singing and praising God for how amazing he is because he does all the work, so he deserves all the credit. We can go, you don't have to just sing a song. You can go and look at nature and say, man, God is so big and he's so magnificent. You can look at a person and say, man, God, you are so detail-oriented. Thank you so much for being so amazing. You can look at your past and say, man, God, I was struggling with this in the past, and you brought me out of it. You are so powerful. God, there's no way I was getting myself out of this situation, but you got me out of it. Worshiping God for who he is is so important. Psalm chapter 34, verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually flow from my lips. His praise shall continually flow from my lips. But the fourth thing is probably the most important one. It's lordship. Letting God be the Lord of your life. Putting him first in your life. Because I think a lot of times we do a really good job, Christians, we do a really good job of reading the words, knowing the song lyrics, doing all these things, and doing nothing about it. And I believe that if we have all this knowledge but never apply it, we, we're just wasting our time at that point. We're, we're never going to get any further in our relationship with God if we never apply what he told us to do. In fact, just looking at the very last thing Jesus ever told us to do was go and make disciples. That was the commandment that Jesus gave us. I'm not going to have anybody raise their hand. I would just, in your head, ask yourself this question. Have I ever made a disciple before? Have I ever brought somebody to know Jesus? Because that's what Jesus told me to do. Am I following, am I applying the things that God's telling me to do? On top of that, God's given each one of us our own spiritual giftings. Like Mother Teresa said, I can do things you can't do, you can do things I can't do, but together we can do amazing things. I have no, no singing capabilities whatsoever. But some of you guys do. And I really want to challenge you guys, don't hide that talent from us, right? That, that, that famous song, I'm this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You have a spiritual gift. Don't hide it. Some of you guys understand how technology works. Again, I do not know anything about how technology works, but we need people on our production team. Some of you guys can put up with kindergartners. <laughs> I cannot. And we need you on our children's team. But, but more than that, we want to use this worship experience as practice. This is our one time where we get to come together and control the situation and say, you know what? We're going to practice serving so that when we're out in the world the other six days, we're going to serve. It's just going to be a natural thing. 
That's why we have service. That's why, that's why, we, that's why we give service opportunities, because the next six days, are you going to do what you've practiced on Sunday? This is, this is practice. Church is just practice. Church really starts at, at now, when church ends. Church really starts when it ends, because that's when we get to apply what we've learned, what God has given us. And I want to challenge you guys to do those three things this week. Just think about, ask yourself those three questions. Am I, do I have people in my life who, who I can trust and who I can go to for anything? Am I connected with people? Am I connected with a Christian or multiple Christians? Am I disconnected every now and then? Am I, am I getting disconnected from what's going on in the world so I can focus on what matters? And am I connecting with God in those moments? I think if we can apply all three of those things, then our, our, our week is going to be very blessed. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, you are so amazing. God, you're so powerful. God, you love each one of us so much. God, you, like we sang in that last song, you paid it all. And God, I, I, you, oh, you want to give us so many good gifts. And God, one of those gifts is the, the power to endure the attacks of the enemy. And God, I just pray that we can look at that text and say, God, even in the roughest possible situation, no food for 40 days, you, you resisted because you saw the eternal perspective. And God, I pray this week you can give each one of us an eternal perspective. And that it's going to bless us this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.